Welcome to Beyond Podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Petralis, and we are so excited for today's guest. I mean, to me, I would say the biggest cover of high school sports in all of Massachusetts. I mean, I can date back to when I was an athlete in high school in Massachusetts in the late 90s, early 2000s, and reading uh, this person's articles, always paying attention to what their opinions of the top teams were in every division, um, and, and being a coach, reading the articles and following along as well. So I'm a huge fan of this person. Um, was the MIAA class of uh, 2018, they got, they got the uh, Distinguished Service Gentleman Award. And in my opinion, like I said before, the best reporter of high school sports in all of Massachusetts. So without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, Danny Ventura. Anthony, I'm not going to say anything. You, you, this was fa- yeah, it was a fantastic lead. If you want to keep going, I'm just going <laughs> to sit back and listen. Yeah, you know, I, I have really high praise for you. I mean, I think what, you, what you've done and what you continue to do, especially, you know, even the years that I mentioned with, you know, technology is not quite the same now that it was 30 years ago, 35 years ago. And the work that you've done and the man hours that you probably had to put in of travel and telephone calls and everything else, I can't imagine to stay on top of things the way you have over the years. Well, that I appreciate it. It's, it. It is a labor of love, but it, you know, it's something I love to do. You know, my father would all, my father was a construction worker when he was alive and he'd always tell me, you know, you know, once you get a job for a living while I was doing this. So, I mean, it. I mean, I can't lie. It's a lot of work, but it's a lot of fun. Yeah. There are a lot worse things you could be doing in life than being a high school reporter. Yeah, I think it's cool. You know, I'm jumping into it, covering coaches and athletes and everything else. And there's just something about it, the hard work, the dedication that gets put into it to be able to cover it um, and being able to tell the stories must be really fun and really cool. So we'll dive into all of that today. But the first question I'll ask, and I'm just really curious, like I said, as a fan is, um, you know, when did you get your start? You know, what was your big break? How did you first kind of get into covering high school sports um, early in your career? Well, I'll tell you, it, it, it wasn't a glamorous start. Of all things, I wanted to always be, because I, when I grew up, I loved Eddie Andelman, Guy Manello. I, lo- I would love to have been a radio talk show host, but it just never worked out. And what happened was, would have been in 1986, a friend of mine was going through a, a paper in Denham called The Transcript, and he saw an ad there. He says, hey, they're looking for a sports writer, you know, a part-time sports writer. And honestly, I was motivated by money. I mean, I just, I figured, hey, you can pick up a few extra bucks. So I answered the ad. They gave me a two-night tryout. I can still remember what I, it was Wal, Walpole versus Framingham North, which no longer exists in basketball. And the next night was BC High's Avarian Hockey. And after the second night, I was, they told me, you know, we like what you're doing. And which, I mean, I had no clue what I was doing. So they offered, they they must have felt bad for me, whatever. But they gave me an opportunity to work part time there. I graduate gradually became a full time reporter there, and then got laid off in May of 1990. But what the one thing that was good about it, the couple of people who had actually were instrumental in me getting my first break had gone to the Boston Herald. So when they found out what happened to me at the Transcript, they got me. They got me my foot in the door at the Herald, and that's how I got started there. Ah, so that's really cool in a way. Like things happen for a reason, as they say, you know. And we're look. Well, I didn't think about it that night when I got laid <laughs> off. It wasn't too bad. But as it turned out, you know that you're absolutely right. Yeah, um, and th- and that's really cool, you know. And then obviously you've been there since. Um, so you got you started to the industry. What was like the first sport, or what was kind of so you got a job there? I mean, what were you covering? What were you writing about? I mean, what was kind of like your first break with the Herald? Oh, I was, I, I mean, there, there's a ground level and I was below the ground level. I mean, when I got in there, I was working Saturday night and Sunday nights doing the agate page, which is basically the scoreboard, the box scores, the racing agate and things like that. So it was nothing really, uh, but I was just so excited. Hey, I'm in the door. Let me see what happens. I mean, I probably worked there for two years and maybe got one or two writing assignments. So it was just a matter, you know, and nowadays there's no, no way any kid is going to deal with that. But I just figured, you know what, my chance will come eventually, you know, little by little, you know, things happened. They broke. I became, went from a two day a week person to a four day a week person. And then in nine, 96, Bob Holmes, who was the high school sports editor at the, at the Herald went to the globe. His assistant was Stephanie Tanera. She took his job and I went for her job and got her job. So 
it's probably toward the end of uh, maybe early 97, I became the full-time high school sports reporter at the Herald. That's great. Worked out from there. So that was in 96. But let me ask you part of like building yourself up, you know, I think like a coach and building their program up, you know, they're obviously trying to get a better year after the year, their product, you as a reporter, obviously trying the same thing in 93. Um, I think it was you that created the sweet 16 in the Herald. Um, and then obviously your pickaramas over the years on Thursdays have been have been great, but just kind of focusing on the Sweet Sixteen for a second. That was since '93. Uh, was that something you created? Were you like a mastermind behind that? And if so, what was your thought process going into that? No, I mean it actually was a, it was a former assistant sports editor, Joe Thomas. His son had always asked him. He goes, you know, how come you guys don't have any sort of ranking system for high school football? And he didn't, you know, he couldn't give him an answer. So they asked around. So Bob Holmes asked me, he says, would you be interested in doing it? And I said, yeah, I'll give it a shot, see what happens. And then, you know, from there, that's, you know, how that got started. And, you know, the other thing we had talked about off the air was the wrestling column, which I, in 92. And again, it, you know, it's a matter of right place at the right time. You know, I happened to be going in on a third, and I remember it was a Thursday afternoon because it was payday. I was working full-time at the Red Sox, part-time at the Herald. So I went in there to get my paycheck. And Bob, Bob Sales, who was the sports editor there, was talking to Pat Purcell, who was the uh, publisher of the paper at the time. Pat's son was a high school wrestler. And he asked him, he says, you know, Dad, the Herald has all these notebooks and all these sports. Why not wrestling? So I walk in there, and I can remember Bob, Bob Sales points to me, goes, you, you're going to be the new wrestling writer. Now, naive as I am, I'm thinking, oh, wow, you mean like, and so I asked him, and I went, one of the rare times, I wasn't even being a wise guy. I said, you mean like Hulk Hogan and all that stuff? And he got really upset, because he, like, he thought I was being a clown. He goes, don't be funny. You're going to be the high school sports writer for wrestling. So I said, I'll give it a shot. I mean, you know, it's a chance to get a byline. I mean, I knew nothing about wrestling. I knew two guys who coached. I called them up and said, hey, everything you know, you got to let me know right now. And they were great. They steered me in the right direction. And I'll tell you, you know, they really appreciate the coverage. Yeah. And that's, and again, that's kind of like a sport that not a lot of people necessarily covered. And like you said, I think maybe a lot of it just has to do with the knowledge of it on, on this podcast. I've had two football coaches who also happen to be two wrestling coaches on here. So being able to pick their brains a little bit about it and the strategy that goes into it from weight cutting to working out to practice style. I mean, it is really cool. It's, it's really cool. And something that, yeah, deserves a lot of coverage. Like you said. Yeah, they, I mean, they really appreciate it. You know, you, you never have to chase these guys for stories because they, they appreciate it. They're gung-ho. They're, and like, like you said, you know, there were a lot of things. I mean, I've done this for 30 years, and there were still things in wrestling that I'm like, why would, you know, what, do, what went behind this? And, I mean, I'm not shy about asking a question. Even if it makes me sound like an idiot, so be it. But I'd rather know why this happened, even if, it was an, even if it's an obscure question. I'm going to ask. And they're great. I mean, they'll explain everything. Yeah. So, so jumping back into your sweet 16, I mean, obviously you guys begin to run that, you know, it's a column or an article that you have in the paper every week. How do you go about determining that? You know, obviously in the early days of not as much technology, like on Twitter, now you can find the score of any game at any time because someone's writing about it or covering it, or it's an athlete themselves or a coach or whatever. Um, but how'd you go about, you know, making those decisions based off of, you know, it's all over the state, it's different conferences, different leagues. So how do you go about doing that? No, it's pretty, I mean, we're fortunate. We're just Eastern mass, but it's still, you know, you're talking 200 schools. And one of the big right. things you have is the big thing, you know, is a division three school better than a division one school? Cause there's that bit, that stigma. If you're a division one school, you should be the best. And sometimes these division two, division three schools, they're pretty good. Yeah. And yeah. so that's where one of the biggest things you get is, you know, how can you compare somebody from the Catholic conference to say the Bay State conference? And just, you know, it's a lot of it's just subjective. Yeah. And I think that that's, you know, it, it brings in a sight excitement, like an aura, you know, I feel like when you, um, you know, when you put those out there, I remember there'd be times either being a coach or as a player being like, Oh, he doesn't think that about us, you know? So you must get that a lot. I'm sure. And no. especially, with, especially with Twitter now. I mean, there's some days I look on there 
and you're just reporting something or saying something and people just come after you with daggers. I mean, how do you take that? I mean, how do you respond to things like that? You, 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 you got to, you know, you do have to take a step back and realize it is Twitter. You know, there are a lot of Twitter tough guys out there. <laughs> and what you try to do, I mean, with kids, I don't, you know, go at because they are kids. You know, you're going to look like a fool in the long run if you engage in a kid who's giving you a hard time. I just let it be. I try to explain my situation. And as long as they're being, you know, as long as they're fair, you can disagree with me. That's fine. Because a lot of times they're probably right and I'm wrong. But I mean, you know, as long as you do it in a professional manner, if you start, you know, you effing this, this, that, that's like, no. Yeah. No. And I see that. I see that sometimes when people respond to, you know, they ask you a question, you give your opinion, and all of a sudden, there's a bunch of people commenting, disagreeing with you. I'm like, you, you just asked him what he thought, and now all of a sudden. <laughs> yeah, it's the old thing. Don't, don't ask the question if you don't want to hear the answer. You know, exactly. I, I mean, it's my, one man's opinion. It doesn't mean I'm right. But, with, you know, hey, it is what it is, as they say. That's too funny. <laughs> so, you know, going back, uh, I guess, a little bit before that time, again, no social media, all of that, um, you know, you obviously begin making a name for yourself in 96. You kind of, you know, you take over. Um, talk about early research. I mean, how'd you go about figuring these teams out? Because again, the access to these teams and these programs are not quite the same of what it is today. So how would you go about say assessing in the football off season, maybe in the summer, what teams are, you know, the kind of tops of each division, so on and so forth. I mean, do you have a team that kind of works together? How do you go about finding? Well, I usually, like I said, my it drives my wife crazy because we have papers all over the house, <laughs> but I'm an old school guy. I like, I keep, I have notebooks. I have all my pens. I, what I do is I write every, at the end of the season, I will write, you know, I have all the stuff and I'll just keep notes of like, you know, who's got a lot of kids coming back and things like that. What's made it tougher nowadays in a, in the old days, you know, a kid went to high school. He was there for the duration. Now the concern is, is he there next year? Cause you got the prep schools, right. you, know, you got transfers and all that. So you, you, it does, you do have to do a little more legwork. You know, you don't want to put a kid in, oh, yeah, so-and-so is going to be the star player at, say, Foxborough. Oh, by the way, he's at their academy. So, you know, there is a lot of legwork involved, but a lot of the stuff is done months in advance. Yeah. So do you base it, like, I guess when you call, like, I'm sure you guys call coaches and ask teams what they think about who they are, their identity a little bit. What are the types of questions that you might ask yourself to a coach to maybe really learn more about their team? Yeah, what I'll do is like what I'll call, you know, you know, how many guys you got coming back, you know, you, what, you know, what do you feel you're going to have to do to be successful, things like that. And then I will, and you know, you've developed a relationship. A lot of these guys have been there for a long time and you know which guys you can go, are your go-to guys. They'll give you the honest assessment about the league, their team in general. And, you know, you can go from there and it just branches out. Yeah. And I think you do a really good job of that. I always say that you've been so thorough, you know, I feel like when you, you put your information out there, there's statistics, there's names, um, you keep an account, you know, who they play, the conference that it is. So uh, that's the one thing I've always kind of found really cool about you, especially for football, just because that's my world, um, is that you're, you're pretty accurate, you know, and your picks are pretty accurate, too. I mean, I, sometimes I think you should gloat about your picks on Twitter a little bit more, what your record is week to week. But it, it, you're usually uh, right a lot more than you are wrong. I, I do OK. I mean, it, you know, the, they, they don't remember when you're right, but they always remember when you're wrong. And that's fine. <laughs> and that's fine. Yeah, it's fun. It's fun. You you obviously have a great sense of humor with it. And uh, but no, you do great. Your picks are great. I mean, you people don't talk about your record enough. Your record is is pretty good. Well, um, thank you. So, you know, one part of it obviously we'll go back to ninety six and we'll kind of just keep building our way up, but and maybe it was a few years after that, but at some point in your career, did you maybe start thinking like, wow, we're getting a lot of attention in our coverage of high school sports whether it's through our articles or you know I remember I see you at a game and I'd be like oh Danny Ventura is here you know like it was kind of like you were the guy I mean what, what point did you maybe start seeing a little bit that you were becoming the guy in this area for for high school sports I think you probably you know four or five years in you know from the 96 by the beginning of the 2000s people kind of you know and I think they've always respected it. I don't think it's as much me 
as the Herald itself, because I think we've always prided ourselves. We've been very lucky that we've had upper management has always been very, very supportive of high school sports. And I think it goes back to with Pat Purcell and that he, his son, his son played, he was into high school sports and he was all in. And I think it, it's a trickle down, you know, if he's all in, then your boss is going to be all in and it works down. So I think we've been blessed that our paper has been very good, very supportive of high school sports. And that's in turn allowed us to, you know, put, get our names out there more. And it's, a lot, you know, our popularity has increased as a result of that. Yeah, and, and especially, I mean, I was a player from 97 to 01 so, or 2000. So, um, you know, even then I was reading, I mean, we always go to the coffee shop around the corner from the school, pick up the Herald, be opening to the back and looking for your articles. So, yeah, so you guys definitely, to me, when I was in high school, I felt like you were the, the coverage for sure. Um, so jumping a little bit more into obviously your coverage. Now we're jumping into more when technology kind of jumps into this piece a little bit, but Twitter, I mean, how much has Twitter changed the game as far as your coverage goes to your article writing for you to be able to access information instantly and, and probably make your job a lot easier in a lot of ways. Yeah. In some way, like, you know, the big, the perfect way to explain this would be Friday night football. Prior to Twitter and social media, we would, on a Friday night, we would probably be in the office at like 1 a.m. chasing scores. Now, we pretty much, because of Twitter and, you know, the athletic directors being so on top of it, we probably have all the scores by close to 11 o'clock now. So it probably cuts. And, and as a result, we're getting scores into more editions of the paper. So in that regard, Twitter has been, you know, has been a real great, has been a boom for us. Where it's become different social media today as opposed to, say, 25 years ago, today, if you get a story, you've got to get it out there now. In the old days, if you had a story, you could sit on it until then and you know, get it into the paper the next day and not worry about being scooped. Now, if you get something, you've got to get it out there. Yeah, that's, I didn't even think of that aspect of it for sure because chances are people are just so easy for themselves to get it out as well that, yeah, you got to get cool. it out right away or you're late to the dance. So, yeah, I totally I didn't think of it like that. Um, so one thing I'll just ask you that, you know, I kind of ask a lot of coaches, especially early on when we started this podcast, you know, like last year at this time or even more before then is COVID. I mean, how did COVID affect your job? Your, I mean, there, obviously there wasn't sports and, you know, there's probably creative ways or creative things that you maybe were doing uh, during that time to still, in a way, shine a light on high school sports, even if it wasn't in session. So how did something like COVID really affect your coverage and your job and maybe things you had to do differently as a result of it? Or you had to become a lot more creative because there may not have been high school sports, but, you know, the paper does have to get out. And you've got to find stories. And I'm, and I'm blessed. I, had a, I have a great staff of people who love to work. They're all in it for the right reasons. Guys like Greg Dudek, who has moved on, Matt Feld, Tom Mulhern, the whole group of guys, they're all in it for the right reasons. They, they're passionate about what they do. And they were, they were godsends. I mean, they came up, you know, they, we all chipped in. We all had ideas. And, you know, we were able to get through it. But, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't easy in one regard. But in another regard, it helped in that we were able to go back to actually writing, you know, stories that, you know, really, you know, you could dig, it, dig into the meat of it rather than just a quick 300-word thing, get it out, and that's it. Now, you mentioned a couple people that you work with, too, or that you previously worked with. Are there some people out there now that cover high school sports really well, like some names that you might want to just throw out there that – you know, either previously you've worked with or that, you know, they're just covering a really, uh, a really good way. I mean, you look at, you know, you look around the landscape. I look at the Salem news with Phil Stacy, who, I mean, to me, the coaches in that area should count their blessings. They have people like Phil, Matt Williams and their staff because they, you know, they're passionate about what they do. They give phenomenal coverage to those schools in that area. You get someone like a Chris McDaniel, who's down at the uh, Patriot ledger, Brockton enterprise, does a great job, you know, Tom Castle over at Metro West. I mean, pretty much everybody, you know, everyone's in it for the right reasons. You know, they, you know, they, and, you know, it's just the local communities need to appreciate these guys because, you know, they're not getting rich. None of us are getting rich doing this. And a lot of, in a lot of cases, it's a labor of love. 
And for those local papers, you know, I, I just hope the people in those areas have a great appreciation for what they, what these guys do for them. Yeah. You know, it is, it's, it's, it is amazing. You know, I know um, like Jamie Pote here, I, I'm in Wilmington. He covers oh. Wilmington and Tuxbury sports. He's so good at it. And uh, you know, it, like you said, when you have people that are really passionate about it and really want to cover it, uh, from a standpoint that you know not a lot of others do it, it it is it is really nice and kind of a lost art in a way of, of some people that don't cover as much as they maybe should um but jumping into like your research right because i think that part of what makes writers so unique or people that cover high school sports so unique is kind of the research that goes into it you obviously do a lot of things to keep it fresh and to keep it current and updated and obviously between your pickaramers and your sweet 16s and your shout outs or players of the week. I mean, people really pay attention to who you are um, as a reporter of high school sports, but like talk about the research that goes into, cause you're covering sports, you know, pretty much year round minus the summer. And even then you're building your stories coming up for the, for the fall season. Talk about the research you do. I mean, when do you start putting things out, say like, okay, football and soccer and everything starting in the fall. Um, when are you kind of starting the research for that? Well, football, you know, when the start of the season is September, you're probably starting mid mid July. Like if I go, like I, you know, my, my wife and have a have a my wife and I have a place in Florida, and we go down there for like a week or so. I mean, I will do some stuff early in the morning, late at night, just to start. Even at something as simple as getting high school the schedules, because you know it, it takes a lot of time. Just things like you know, so it takes you know. You're not going, you know, the season begins on September 11th. I mean, you're not, you're not starting your research on the 10th. So it takes time. But like I said, you know, I do like to keep, all, you know, the notes and all that stuff. So it makes it my job a lot easier in, in terms of having to go into this and get that. Yeah, absolutely. And so, so that's, you know, about a six to seven week, let's, let's call it seven weeks, let's say right. that, that you're, you're starting. So now you're in fall season. When are you starting to now say, okay, we got to get ready for winter season that's coming up. Probably tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean, I'm, I pretty much do the basketball and I do the wrestling and I'll probably start, I'll probably go into the notebooks tomorrow, you know, cause we do have a couple of days before Thanksgiving. So, you know, you know, I probably, you know, one, you know, in the morning I'll just, you know, grab a cup of coffee, sit at the table and just, you know, start sifting through it real quick. You know, these are teams we need to look at because, Practice, they officially can start the Monday after Thanksgiving. So they're, they're chomping at the bit themselves. Yeah, absolutely. You know, especially I've had a lot of basketball coaches on this podcast and just texting with them to see if they're getting ready in a couple more weeks. And you pay attention to their social media and there's countdown. So, yeah, oh, yeah. You, you, can, you can see that winter yeah. sports, they're, they're, they're ready to go. Uh, they're definitely those coaches are ready to go. So it's fun. Um, and then obviously, okay, so you're looking at that as from now till start. So maybe like four or five weeks. Is that the same thing going from winter to spring as far as yeah. when your research starts then as yeah, well? Yeah, pretty much. You know, the winter, the, usually the state finals are usually in basketball and hockey right around St. Patrick's Day. And as soon as that, as soon as that ends, then boom, you, you know, we're right into it for the spring. We, you do catch a little bit of a break in the spring because a lot of times, because of the weather, you know, baseball and softball, this season may start on, say, April 5th or whatever. But more often than not, they're getting games canceled because they can't get out there because, you know, the weather conditions, you know, their fields are not available, you know, not, you know, they can't, not suitable to be played on. I mean, we're getting more and more turf fields, but there's still a lot of those grass fields that, you know, it presents a problem. Yeah, it does. You know, especially the rain that we've had, you know, a couple of days right. like that, your fields, depending on yep. it's, you know, on it's how much water. It yeah, can, this isn't Fenway Park or Polar Park. You know, these are regular, you know, fields, you know, they get soaked. They're, they're soaked. Yeah. And it's like, what can you do? You know? Um, so at that point of doing your research, I mean, over the years, are there certain coaches that you have a pretty good relationship with that you can not only just maybe reach out about their specific team, but maybe also teams that are in their league or teams that uh, they'll be seeing a little bit just to kind of get a heads up. And if so, do you want to give any of those coaches a shout out that you have a pretty good relationship with? I mean, you know, in basketball, you know, I, you know, I, you know, Paul Connolly, Bill Lockname, you know, Dave Fazio, I, I just don't want to, overlook anyone guys like you know, these are guys who've been at it for 25 30 years and they they know the lay of the land 
So they know if they're not going to be that great, they'll be pretty honest about it. And they'll tell you, you know, these are the teams in our league that, because these guys know, they know who's going to be good, who's not going to be good. So, you know, you develop a rapport with, and there were certain guys that, you know, you talk to them and they're probably not telling you the whole story and you can figure those out too. I'm not giving those names out. <laughs> no, I would never ask. I would never ask. <laughs> but, you know, they, you know, you do have your go-to guys and, it, and that's it for every sport. And that's, that's everyone has that, those guys that they feel like, if I call this guy, I know, you know, he's going to, you know, steer me in the right direction. Yeah. Are you ever like shocked when someone's like, yeah, we're not going to be that good. And then all of a sudden week seven, you're looking in the paper and they're like a one or two lost team. You're like, Oh yeah. Oh, yeah I get, oh, believe me. I, they get the business. <laughs> yeah. they get the, I get, I give them, the, I call them the sandbagger of the year award candidates. Yeah. And most of them, most of them are probably shocked. Some of them, you know, they, they may not be telling you the whole story about what they have, but they, they will get the needle for it though. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a, I, there's so many coaches now in the football world. Like, yeah, we're not going to be that good. And then you pay attention no. a week. <laughs> it's like, and you're like, not that good. Look who you beat, yeah. you know. <laughs> um, and, and when doing all this research, are you a one-man show? Or do you have, like, um, a staff underneath? I mean, how does that kind of work as far as well, – for specific sport, like basketball, I pretty much do a lot of the preseason legwork myself. You know, hockey, we have Tom Fargo is pretty good at it. Basketball, I do have Matt Fells who helps me out a lot. He's very good. You know, the other sports, we have Tom Mulhern. We have guys like Brian Roach. You know, Joe Ridden is our track guy. I mean, he's, you know, I just get out of his way. Cross country, indoor track, outdoor track. I just tell him, hey, I need this by then. And, you know, he's on it. He's the, I mean, he's the premier track guy in the state. Yeah. So, you know, I'm, again, it goes back to being very blessed that I got a staff of people who are fantastic at what they do. They make no, me look good. That, I mean, that's really good when you have a great team that, that's like passionate and people that really know what they're doing. It's nice to have someone else that kind of has that same passion following along, doing all the, you know, doing all the homework, checking all the boxes. I mean, yeah, that, that's nice. And for coaches and athletes, it's so appreciated because they're putting the work into it. And sometimes they don't realize behind the scenes how much work is getting put into the actual coverage of things. I mean, I said earlier, you know, to many guests that I've talked to, you wish there was a million more people that would go out there and cover high school sports. And sometimes every sports program can't get coverage and, you know, it happens, but um, there's a lot of special things that are going on in programs. And I think that you guys do a tremendous job of really trying to catch that and really educate those out there who are paying attention to it. You make a great point yesterday, for instance, Saturday, you know, we had state finals. I mean, we just didn't have enough bodies. And it's like, you know, you feel awful. Like these schools are playing for state championship. But because they've they've broken up into so many divisions, it's like, you know, we just don't have the manpower to feel about it. But you do the best you can and hope hope some people understand. And if they don't, I can't blame them, really. I mean, you know, it's just we're doing the best we can. Yeah, and that's it, you know, and I – even said to people when I, you know, we do our coverage of, we go to games and cover the experience and so on. It's, you know, there's a lot of special things going on, but there's only just so much coverage. I was on a podcast and said that to somebody. I'm like, you know, it's, it's hard when you pick which teams you're covering or what areas you're covering, because, you know, you, you just don't know sometimes what's going on in other programs and paying attention to that win loss record is just, you kind of have to do that a little bit more with the job because those games are a little bit more valuable in a sense, you know? Yeah. You know, you're right. And you, what you try to avoid is, you know, obviously in every sport, there's going to be two or three marquee teams. And you probably could cover them every game. But you try to balance it out. So, you know, you'll, you will give them their coverage. But you try to get other, you know, schools covered. You know, because, you, you know, hey, they're part of it as well. You know, just because the team is the number one team in the state, you go to another, you know, you go to another city. They're the number one team in their eyes they don't care about that team that's their kids playing so in their eyes my kid is number one and, and that's you know i don't blame them for that yeah no absolutely and i think you know like you said i think it's just a matter of you, you you're trying to get the best coverage you can out there and i think you do a phenomenal job in doing that so you know tip of the cap to you for sure um 
when it comes to, you know, just like fun questions that I want to ask you, uh, experience of, have you been to Fenway for any of the Fenway football high school games? And if so, just what's the experience like? That's like, I would love to cover a game there, you know, on the field, it, being there. It was, it was unique. I mean, I went the first year when it was St. John's Preps Varian, and it was, it was definitely different. You know, you look down there and it's like, geez, Red Sox aren't out there. Right. And it, it's a different dynamic because, you know, the way they set the field up, you know, you, both teams are on the same side. And it's just, you know, the uniqueness of it is what makes it special. Now, I mean, where's the guys field go across? There. Where's huh? the field, where's the, now, does the field go across, like, diagonally across the outfield? Is that how it goes? No, it's, it goes across the infield. Oh, so they, cover, it's, they go right across the dirt and everything? Yeah. Yep. Okay. Okay. Wow. That's interesting. Yeah, I mean, I think it must be a really cool experience. And obviously, you mentioned those two teams that start off and doing it. It's, uh, those are two really good teams to, to have one of the right, first I think, you know, they, and they, got, they got great crowds there. The first, you know, they've branched out. And what they've tried to do is they try to get different teams in there, which they did this year with the eight teams going there. I'm pretty sure none of them have been there before. I'm almost positive. In fact, I think Southie and Eastie, I think, might have played there in the 40s one time at Fenway, but the, uh, the, the eight schools that are going there have never played there before. So it, for them, it's unique. That is cool. You know, and I think there should be somewhat of a rotation, you know, yeah. it, obviously I think you got to look at like school size and all that to, to make sure that the crowd's worth getting there, you know, but absolutely there's everyone should get a shot at playing there. And you know, what is funny though, is that you do get some schools who don't care about it. They'd much rather play their Thanksgiving day game at home. And, yeah, for me, I'm 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 of the school like, geez, you got a chance to go to Fenway. You gotta go. <laughs> right. But there were guys who, you know, a few years ago what happened with Winthrop High School. They had the opportunity to play there and they declined. And th- their rationale was that they their home field had been renovated. They were in the process of a I think a two or three year renovation. For those seniors, they never got to play a home game. And, you know, playing a home game on Thanksgiving would have been their last game. And they felt so strongly that, you know, we want to play here in Winthrop that they declined. Wow. That's interesting. That's it. That's, yeah. Wow. That, that's a big program decision, you know, that's, that's. Yeah. Like, oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so speaking of all that and decisions and so on, I mean, playoff system, I mean, this year, the playoff system in high school football uh, is, has been a lot different. I know they're using a whole new rating system. I mean, what are your thoughts? I know you and I chatted a little bit about it off the air, but, you know, share your thoughts, your opinions about it, and what, what, how you think it's gone thus far to this point. I like it. I mean, I, I was a big, big proponent of it. I think I never was a crazy sectional guy. I thought, you know, it was, it was totally unfair the way it was done. You know, so, you know, I don't understand if you're in a state where everything's supposed to be equal, how is it that one section would have 22 teams vying for a sectional title and another section has six or seven? I mean, there's no fairness there. I mean, this thing, you're basically throwing everyone into the pot, and here it is. This is what we're doing. And if you look at it, the way, that, the way it's worked itself out, you know, it's hard to, you know, to find fault with it. You know, you look at in all the sports across the board, you know, there may be one you know, a team like a Canton, or, you know, in, in boys soccer or Paulo Freire in volleyball that were seated, you know, in the 20s and want to, Canton got to the state final. Paulo Freire won the Division Five volleyball, you know. But for every one of those, you're getting section, you know, the final four where the seeds are like one, two, three, four, one, two, three, five. So it is working. And, mm-hmm. and I, I, I do like it. The, the one drawback you do here is, transportation you know there are some game like for instance monument mountain which is almost in you know way out west had to play at nantucket that's basically an all-day trek for them and you know it's if you do it once that's fine but if you get stuck where you're you're a low seed you win a couple of games and you have to do that two or three times i mean that's going to cut into your 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 financial budget and in this day and age you know where every penny counts you know can you afford to keep doing it you know, yeah. a suggestion that I've mentioned is, you know, maybe in the first round or so, if you've got, you know, maybe a team that, you know, say a team that's seated 33 and one's 34, if you can flip-flop them where you would cut the travel, you know, it might be, you know, more beneficial there in the long run. But yeah. by and large, I, I, I'm a big proponent of it. I, I like how it worked in the fall. I think you're getting the best teams. 
I look at boys soccer. The Division One state championship was Brookline and Newton North. Those are your Thanksgiving Day arch rivals. That would never have happened in the old system. Now here you are, your bitter rival, and you're playing for a state championship. Yeah. I mean, how how good is that? I mean, that is cool, and you're right. Like you never really would maybe see a team in a championship because you might be on the same bracket on the same side of a. And you're playing each other like in a second or third round, which still has meaning to it, but not as much meaning, like you said, like a state championship and things like that. Yeah, I mean, you've seen it so many times in the sections. I think we talked about this a few years back. Duxbury was a very good basketball team. They were the top seed in Division II South. They drew Catholic Memorial, who was 10-10, and but that was kind of like a fake 10-10 and because they played such a brutal schedule. That, you know, and, and I jokingly put it in the paper saying that, you know, this could be the de facto state final, and it's a first-round matchup in the sectional. As it turned out, it was a phenomenal game. It was an overtime affair. Duxbury wound up winning it and then just rolled through everyone to win the state title. And they said they agreed from, the, from when the tournament stuff came out. They said they felt all along that that was going to be their toughest game. And that really shouldn't be the case. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And, you know, sometimes teams play up because they know that they can play up and kind of build their toughness. Or the coach thinks they're pretty good and they want to see how good they really are. And they're playing teams that are outside their conference or outside the division that are higher seed, higher rank, higher, just better teams, bigger schools. And that gets them ready for their conference play and eventually their tournament play. And like you said, you could have a team that's like smoke and mirrors 11 and nine. That's really like a 16, 17 win team. And had they maybe cupcake their schedule a little bit. Exactly. Um, So yeah, no, I totally get that. And like you said, those matchups happen. So, you know, was there anybody in any of the tournaments that you felt like kind of made like a surprise run, any high seeds that um, snuck through that, that, um, you know, making championship games or things like that at all. When you look at football, the one that jumps out is Randolph in Division Eight. I mean, they're a double-digit seed, and it's a program that has struggled in recent years. They they four and four during the season, but they got a they got on a nice run, and now here they are. They're playing in Gillette. Yeah, it's unreal. And you know, the old playoff system, like the the past playoff system, was great too. But before that, you know, I had guests on here that we talked about the old system. Before that, was that you had to win your league, and if you didn't win your league, there's no chances. So a four and four team like that, that maybe was playing better week four, week five, week six, week seven, week eight, you know, versus the first three or four weeks of their season, now they get an opportunity to you know kind of get a hot team going in there that got a lower seeds playing the best football they've played all year. And, you know, here they are going to Gillette stadium now. So yeah, you make a great point because, you know, in the old system, you know, winning the league in those, in those days when before they, everyone split into two different leagues, when you had that one league, you'll see, you lose a game in week one and you lose to a team that you think is probably going to win the league. Your season, your season's over. Right. I mean, cause you're going to have to hope somebody beats that team twice and generally in football, that's not going to happen. If the team is going into the season as the favorite to win the league, you might get them once, but you're not going to, they're not going to lose twice. Right. And, you know, if you're the team that loses it, I mean, one year a team lost to, in week one, they went 10 and one. See you later. I mean, right. you should be rewarded for 10 and one. I mean, you know, to tell a team that goes 10 and one that well, you're not good enough to play in the postseason, I, I always did not sit well with me. Yeah, it's tough. I mean, I remember the year that I was a coordinator at Arlington Catholic, and we won the Super Bowl in 08. But, you know, Mashpee, like Abington, were like two teams that were undefeated that played each other, and only one of them goes to the playoffs, you know, on, right. the, on the other side of the bracket. So, like you mentioned, you got a 10-1 and team that was perfect up until maybe their last game to the side. Well, in this case, it was the first game of the year. Oh, so wow. they went Even- 10 weeks, and they know – I mean, give them credit that, you know, the kids didn't salt – they showed up every week, but they knew the score. You know, basically they played for second place. Yeah, and that's tough. You know, it's not easy, especially if that's early on in your season, you know, exactly. to, to know that, you know. Yep. So totally get it. Um, so, again, just kind of questions I like to ask you just all about this. I mean, Thanksgiving football in Massachusetts. I mean, over the last few years, we've been seeing more Wednesday night games that draw huge crowds and, you know, schools that are starting tradition. But just talk about Thanksgiving football in Massachusetts. I mean, you write some tremendous articles and really cover, um, you know, a lot of teams and, and tell a lot of good stories. So, just your experience of Massachusetts high school football when it comes to Thanksgiving morning. Well, it, clearly with the playoff system, it's, you know, the, the meaning of Thanksgiving has gone down a little bit. I've always felt like 
know, it's Thanksgiving. No matter what, the day should be special in itself. Some of the purists feel like, you know, there's no meaning to the game because there's no league championships on the line. Although there's still technically there is, but there's no playoff implications on the line anymore. And I think there is, you know, a guy like Steve Dembowski at Milton has, has rattled his brain trying to come up with, and he's come up with what he feels are good ideas to try to, you know, bring back Thanksgiving significance, but still have that playoff where you have, you know, where it has meaning. And it just hasn't, you know, it's just, it's a tough state because, you know, Thanksgiving does mean a lot. And if you want, and there are coaches and there are some coaches, they'll never admit to it on the record, but have no issue with getting rid of Thanksgiving because they like, they want to play in the playoff. Right. Yeah. It's tough. And I was going to ask you that. So it's interesting that you kind of jumped right into that. I mean, with playoffs, it it certainly has lost its luster. I mean, you could in in essentially play, like in the play, well, the old playoff system, maybe not so much the new one, but you could have played your Thanksgiving opponent three or four weeks before you actually played your Thanksgiving opponent if you were matched up like in the same seat or whatever, same uh, league or whatever. Sure. I mean, and, and then you get the one thing that really drives people crazy is you get these teams who are going on Thanksgiving. They know they're in the Super Bowl. Do you play your kids? Do you not play your kids? And I think it's a, you know, at the bigger schools, they tend to play their kids. But a few years ago, Millis High School, they were in the Division Eight Super Bowl. They chose not to play their kids. And their coach was like, look, I have 22 kids here. I mean, you know, I get one kid hurt. That's like losing three kids because he's, he's my offensive starter. He's my defensive starter. And he's on special teams. So one injury is three guys I lose. You know, if I had an 80-man roster, yeah, I'd play. I'd play. And you can't argue with this logic there. Yeah. And, and, and I've, I've heard it too. I mean, I won't name schools, but I've heard that same thing happen on Thanksgiving. They sit a bunch of their starters because they don't want them getting hurt for the next week. Right. And you, I can't necessarily blame them. Like you said, depending on even school size. I mean, there's some coaches I've had on here this year that don't tackle uh, during the week of practice at all. Everything's right. wrap up and so on because they can't afford a risk injury of losing guys on their roster because they are 25, 30, you know, total on their, on their, on their team. So um, definitely I, I could see it both ways. Um, what would be your advice, uh, to young, you know, young, um, report writers or people that want to cover sports from a media perspective or from a newspaper perspective, what would be your advice to those looking to get started into that, um, as they, as they look to climb and, and, and gain significance in that field? The one piece of advice I got, and it, it's probably as simple as it's going to get, but it makes all the sense in the world is you don't want the word no in your vocabulary. If you're going to get into this business and they want you to cover something, the more available you are, the more often you get, your phone is going to ring. You know, if you're a guy that say, if they, you know, well, we need you to cover gymnastics, then oh, I don't want to cover gymnastics. You know, there's someone else who's going to cover it. And that person is going to wind up getting, hearing his phone ringing a lot more. So the more available you are, the more popular you're going to be with your uh, sports editors. So I, to me, if you're serious about getting in this business, you've got to be willing to work. And it does, you know, you're not going to get the cream of the crop assignment every time, but you know, you've got to, you've got to turn your assignment into making it like a cream of the crop assignment. Yeah. Take your chance. Right. I mean, you're given an opportunity, have fun yeah. with it, you know, yeah. And, you know, maybe it's just you cover it in a different way that people are like, oh, wow, this is different and unique about how they go about doing it. I mean, I've cut, you know, I covered gymnastics. I mean, I don't know anything about gymnastics, but when they call me, you know, can you cover it? Yeah, I'm there. Yeah. There's no reason not to. Do the best you can. Yeah. Don't be afraid to ask questions like field hockey. It's a sport with a million whistles. And I don't, and I mean, I'll always sit near the thing because they always have a, a referee who sits at the table. And I'm not shy about, you know, what was that whistle about? Because there are some whistles, you'll want, some of them are pretty basic, but there are other ones that are obscure whistles. And one thing is, but don't be afraid to ask questions. You know, you may get, you may get, you may ask a question that's probably not the smartest question, but you know what? I'd rather, for my own peace of mind, have that answered, even if it's, say, for, for a dumb question. I don't care. Give me the yeah. dumb answer and then I can move on. Yeah. 
Yeah, and I think that's one thing you have to realize is that no question is kind of silly. You know, when I have guests on here, sometimes I'm like, go back and forth or whether I should ask something. And it's like, you know what, just ask it because you never know the conversation that it leads to. Uh, that then all of a sudden it gets you on to something else. And then boom, you're having a killer conversation because you decided to ask a question as opposed to maybe not doing it. Um, totally. Yeah. Um, so what we're going to do is we're going to jump into our last segment, uh, which is called our two minute drill, our Cheney's two minute drill. So this is how it works. I'm just going to fire some rapid fire questions at you. One or two word answers. You know, we're pretty lenient here. I'll let you explain anything you want to explain and vice versa. If I want to throw the red flag and ask you to explain something a little bit more, you most certainly can. But, um, my coaches love this segment. They have a lot of fun with it and, uh, we'll get this, we'll get the timer set and, and, uh, here we go. So, uh, most pumping, like uh, pumped up, like stadium, gym, or or school you've ever kind of go to the cover a game or watch a game in your career. It, it's funny because basketball, which is my is my favorite sport, Andover High School used to have a band in the gym, and it, it was loud, but they were great. I mean, I, I used to go there. I'd sit, I'd sit near the band. I mean, they were loud as heck, but I loved it. The band is, I'll tell you, it's no matter what sport it is, just having a band, a lot of the games we covered this year, all the schools had bands. We were like, this is such a great element to high school football alone. But in any sport, having a band is just, it's, it's like next level. And then you get the, you know, Brockton high school whose band was legendary. I mean, they'd walk in 100, 200 in the, in the good old days, 100, 200 strong. And it's like, wow, they're really good. Yeah, it just it's a different atmosphere and vibe for sure. Um, love it. I, I was very curious. Um, a coach that you think has done a great job over the years of you covering high school sports that you maybe want to give a shout out to or somebody who maybe doesn't always get that recognition that, you know, runs a great program or does a great job. I mean, to me, I, the guy that I always go back to and probably because I've gone back to probably Bill Lochnane, who's the basketball coach now at BC High. When I first started, he was at Southie. He was just getting going. And it's just a guy that I've always developed a great relationship with on and off the field. I mean, there are so many guys, and I hate to just single one guy out, but he's a guy that, you know, I've always felt like he's that go-to guy, that he's always going to be honest with you. If he's not happy with you, he'll tell you. Yeah. Hey, nothing wrong with that. (laughs) No, not at all. Um, favorite article you've ever written, you know, maybe covering a school or covering an athlete, like an article that just stands out to you that maybe just has significance or importance to you nowadays. The one that I always was very proud of is years ago, they asked me to do the Latin English Thanksgiving day rivalry where you really, and they gave me like two weeks to do it. You know, you could really sink your teeth in just talking to old time guys. And it was just like amazing because you hear these stories like, yeah, uh, you know, there used to be 35,000 people. I'm like, yeah, that's not true. And then you go back to the archives and look up. It's like, wow, he's right. And there was a guy there, Bill Orenberger, who was, I think, 95 at the time. I mean, his, his body was shot and everything, but uh, we talked for 20 minutes. And, you know, he gave me all this stuff. And I'm like, well, I'm going to have to fact check this guy. Wouldn't you know it every, I mean, this guy was giving me these obscure scores and stuff from games in the thirties and forties. I'm like, this guy's in his mid nineties. God bless him. He was, he was right every single time But that's an, that was something I really enjoyed doing because I love the historical stuff of it and great stories that came out of it. Yeah. And that must be really cool. I mean, that's obviously a big rivalry and a long time rivalry. So being able to, go back and, and look at that. I mean, that's a lot of research, but probably some cool research. Well, going back to that real quick, you know, yeah. there's a story. Uh, there was the old time coach was Bill Stewart. His son told me the story that one year for Thanksgiving, his mother wanted one coach to wear, you know, you know, go dress nicely. So he, she, he bought a nice derby cat. They lost. He smashed the hat. He says, I'll never wear that again. <laughs> <laughs> he left the hat on the field. <laughs> that's so funny. That's awesome. Yeah. See, that's the cool stuff. You know, that's just oh, like those great. little things. And unfortunately, with space nowadays, you don't get that opportunity. But that's something you know, I really, really enjoyed sinking my teeth into. That's awesome. That's great. Um, your favorite or most exciting game you've ever covered in your career? I mean, to me, and I don't even think it was the greatest game I've ever covered, but I go back to 97 when St. John's Prep and Zavarian played on Thanksgiving. 
they, they, the buildup started in August because these two teams were clearly the two best teams. They were both nationally ranked. And it got ESPN in those days when they, they used to do scholastic sports. They, brought, they had a truck came up there in 97. So, that, I mean, it was a huge deal. You know, you know, USA Today sent a reporter up. I mean, the wow. buildup was just phenomenal. And, you know, as it turned out, St. John's Prep and the talent on the field on that day. I mean, St. John's Prep, Brian St. Pierre, who went on to play at BC and then in the NFL, and now he's coaching at the Prep. He was the quarterback. He actually said, you know, his touchdown run won the game for them. You know, the, the talent level on the field that day, it was probably 10 to 12 kids who went on and played Division I college football. Wow. That's really cool. I didn't realize all that. That's awesome. Um, what song you go to all these places, you go to all these gyms, music's playing. I mean, music's changed what kids listen to now. We maybe listen to 10, 15 years ago, but what song do you kind of still, when you hear it, you just kind of like bobbing your head a little bit, just kind of gets you a little I think when, you, when some of these schools play, you know, jump around, I think you can't, that's one of those. <laughs> that, yeah. <laughs> It just, you know, because you, you watch grownups, you know, getting up, bobbing their head, jumping around. It's like, eh, this is what it's all about. Yeah, it's cool. I, I, yeah. I, I ask everyone that question because I always get a different answer. It's never the same one. It's just fun to always Did anyone it. give you that answer? No, that's the first I've ever heard right. that song, so it's even we like, better. We like uniqueness. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, best high school football team you think in the state right now, in your opinion? Oh, I don't think there's any questions. Catholic Memorial. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're talented. I mean, they have irritated some people with their decision to go to Division Two because they, in my opinion, they should be Division One. I. I know they get worried about school size and this, but when you get that much talent, you know, you should want to be in Division One. And right. they've played three Division One teams. They beat them all by thirty points. I mean, there's no question they're the best team. Yeah, agreed. I agree. Just from following everything along, for sure. Um, and last question I'll ask you, what is in your winter sport? What is your, I mean, I think you might've kind of answered this, but what is the winter sport that you love covering the most and just have like the most knowledge on? Oh, the basketball is no question. I mean, I, I grew up, I, was, I love basketball. It's the sport I know the most. And, you know, as opposed to hockey where I pretty much know hockey, but I mean, I'm America's biggest wuss when it comes to cold, cold areas and the cold <laughs> rinks don't agree with me. So. I basketball, nice, warm environment that, that works for me. Oh, awesome. Okay. Well, listen, you survived the two minute drill and uh, yes. we, we want to thank no flag. you for coming on. No flags. I loved all your answers. I thought, uh, I thought you killed it. I thought you killed it. Truthfully. You had answers thank ready you. to go. I loved it. Um, you made me look good, <laughs> but I want to thank you for seriously coming on here. As I said, oh, I am my a pleasure. Fan. I enjoyed this yeah. immensely. Yeah, I'm a huge fan. You know, I've been for a long time and uh, be able to just to pick your brain a little bit and, and hear some of your answers to questions that I've always been kind of curious about. It, it was really cool. So I appreciate you taking the time to come on. Oh, no, thank you. Yeah, awesome. All right. So uh, All right. happy Thanksgiving to you. Happy and, Thanksgiving uh, to you and your family. Yeah. You did a good job. We're the little ones. So they're upstairs right now. So we actually, just for our audience know, this is the first time I've ever cut a morning podcast. So we did this at 8 o'clock in the morning on Sunday before Thanksgiving that we did this. And uh, they're upstairs. My wife's actually taking care of them. I hear they're pitter-pattering a little bit. Um, but, yeah, yeah, for the most part, it was kept pretty quiet. I was worried that they you might come down here. got that football discipline. That's it. You know, we, we, we trained you. At <laughs> certain times, you know, when that door shut, you can't come in. That's it. <laughs> well done. Well done, my man. Thank you. Well, listen, from uh, Beyond Podcast, I'm your host, Anthony Petrellis, Danny Ventura. Till next time.